Hey guys, Bryce here from Flex Cortex. All content on the Flex Cortex podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes. It is not a substitution for medical advice from a qualified health professional. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. happening guys welcome to this week's episode of flex cortex today i am very fortunate to be speaking with my coach eric Pugera. eric is a highly qualified coach with a grocery list of certifications some of these being a master's of kinesiology uh, bachelor's of human nutritional sciences he is also a cscs so a certified strength and conditioning coach and he is also a certified sports nutritionist so a cissn most of his work is done through his online personal training company, eBugera LTD, as well as helping with the education side of Prescript and being a contributor to Barbend. He's um, currently putting out about four to eight articles a month. And then he's currently living in Winnipeg, Manitoba. So listen in today as we cover his personal training background and what he recommends for education to be successful in the PT industry long term, whether you're in the in-person space or wanting to make the jump to the online space. So if you want to check him out on Instagram, his Instagram is at Eric Bugera, so E-R-I-C-B-U-G-E-R-A. If you're checking him out on his website, his website is ebugera.com, and that's where you can look at all of his services available, his online coaching, his virtual stuff, and etc. But thanks for listening, guys, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. All right, so to kick it off today, what got you into fitness to begin with? Um, my, I'm going to use it, I'm going to say it, my fitness journey started when I was like 12. Um, I don't want to say it's the same as everybody else, but it's pretty much the same as everybody else. Like I didn't like something about me. I didn't like either how strong I was, physical appearance, athleticism, like pick your poison for when you first started. But that was basically me in a nutshell. Um, I didn't like where I was at physically. And I just sort of started digging into dumbbells, free weights, anything I can get my hands on that my parents would buy for me because I was 12. Um, and still sort of trying to shatter that initial glass ceiling of like, I won't hurt myself, even though I probably will to try to get anything I could out of, out of like your home gym, like baby's first home gym. But for me, it was, it was probably mostly trying to show up body composition to use the most PC term of it. I thought I was a tubby kid. So unhappy with my physical appearance and then just like full send into everything I could get my hands on from then on out. Um, like it started with like the, the dinky little five pounders in your basement and just like bicep curls every day. Cause you don't know anything about anything. Um, and as that evolved, eventually age 12 turned into like age 15, 16, junior high, high school gyms, like actually having a facility, although like poorly equipped, still having like more of a facility access and then being like, Oh, that's a leg press. Those are dumbbells beyond 20 pounds. Oh, look at this like being able to sort of tailor, not a program per se, but like do the victory lap of the entire gym every single time. Yeah. Um, that led to university where I kind of like dug into kinesiology without really having a better idea of what to do with my life period. So it was like, how can I use university to directly benefit me? So got into kin, but more importantly than that, got into a university gym, which had literally everything that you could ever want. And that's where the, I really was able to hit the gas on that initial goal all the way from age 12. Like puberty hit me really well. I started to, to chip away at the goal really effectively in, alongside puberty, but at the same time, like five, six, seven days a week, full gym access, probably unhealthy levels of cardio and weight training and dieting. But that's yeah. where I really was able to knock out that first initial goal. I think, uh, 
every good fitness story starts with a dungeon home gym. I think they all should, honestly, because it keeps you <laughs> like it keeps you from being too too like babied or too uh too like highbrow on the equipment you use because at the end of the day, like you really don't need much. And if lockdowns have shown us anything, you really don't need much for like yeah. that that entry tier of just health and, and wellness. Like I could pre-fatigue myself with those five. I'm not going to do it. I could pre-fatigue myself with those five <laughs> real hard and then still get something out of them. But more so yeah. than that, like calisthenics, whatever, like you can get a good workout with a lot of different methods, but it's the idea that everybody gets super attached to what they have and the goals they can acquire with what they have and then try to yeah. do the same with the current situation. It's never going to be that, that effective, right? Yeah. I think obviously what I had then wasn't effective in regards to what I, what I know now, what I can apply now. But at least it was like a barrier of entry, right? At least it was some way to start training. Because when I first started training too, it was very similar. It was like, we inherited some equipment and it was like, hey, we have a bench press. That was cool, right? We have a bench press. And then we had like this lat pull down. One side was a lat pull down. And then the flip side of it was like a, like a cable for like you had push downs, right? You know, very classic. You could probably use it for face pulls too. Um, and then we had like some, some matting where you could do like rows, deadlifts. I actually have my very first ever 300 pound deadlift still on video so that's some cringe material um but like again it's all just like getting you into training and kind of getting you exposed to it and like i use so many articles at the time whether they're good or not probably not good because i probably have some 28 method bicep curls in there somewhere 21 method bicep curls in there somewhere but i am thankful for the experiences there and like obviously my dad did kind of like help me get into it a little bit too um from what he knew for his for his basic entry level of knowledge but again it's all got me onto the path that i'm on now and like obviously if it got you to where you are and where you want it to be then that's not a bad thing right well it's like a direct reflection on how i got every other place in the fitness industry and in life is completely waiting blindly with little to no guidance from anybody except like you said like I read countless articles. I tried to follow as many sources as humanly possible at the time. The internet is just like blowing up. So that was at least a resource where I'm not like so old that it was like, here's your book or your magazine and you're screwed. Otherwise it was okay. Bodybuilding.com is a thing. Is it the best resource? Yeah. Maybe not, but at least it's a thing. And just, as you said about like the 21 method, just going through and doing everything possible to try to figure out what was working. And then just a refinement period, like when you're able to actually have real, real access to equipment and like get a little bit more knowledge, like genuine knowledge or mentorship or whatever in your brain, you can look yeah. back and realize like those were the good old days. Like ignorance was a little bit of bliss because you could just wait, like I said, wade blindly through and just work real hard, have some fun with it and see some progress as opposed to apparently like the existential crisis that everybody's in if they're not doing exactly the correct thing at all times nowadays. Yeah. You definitely make do with what you have and it gets you resourceful, right? Like, cause I didn't have a bunch of equipment. You obviously find out really fast, like kind of where you cap off at, but then you also have to expand your current like library or vocabulary pretty quickly of exercises because you only have like a, a very limited amount of exercise equipment at home. But then like your first gym experience, like you mentioned is like pretty eye opening. Like you can go there and you have access to like, first of all, cables. Like I had one cable, but I'm like, there's now five. <laughs> So it's like, it was pretty cool just being able to have that, that barrier of entry. But then also it's like, I was, I was lucky because we actually were given the equipment, so we didn't have to actually pay anything for it. Um, but obviously it started this, this sick addiction for 
lifting, but here we are 10 years later almost, right? Well, the cool thing is that I still have most of my stuff. Like my fives and tens have been inherited by my parents now as they're at the age where it's like, okay, let's do some, some general health and wellness in like their apartment now. I still have like the next tier up, like the uh, the threaded, like adjustable slash buildable, like dumbbells and like dinky little barbell. I've since replaced like my knockoff Bowflex with a better machine, but like it's all still generally there as a part of now like a genuine home gym because it all worked. It was, it's, it's weight. It's how much, you know, in the background of like the actual movements that you're trying to perform or the goal you're trying to pursue, how much you can milk out of each one of those things. They still exist. Yeah. Some of them are collecting dust, but they still exist in the basement. I, I think the big issue then, and like, I think it's obviously an ongoing issue is the, the drive for sensation versus popular stimulus. Right. And that's, I think what I base a lot of my workouts off of was like the sensation of having like a good workout and feeling like I actually had a good session. And that's probably why I had, I did so many 21s, right. It's like, okay, well you have to feel like you actually have a good pump in order to actually have a good workout. And I talked about it with like Salusia on here too. It's like the whole, the volume talk, right. It's like how much volume is too much volume or how much is too little volume. And it's, it's an ongoing battle, but I think a lot of it too is just due to lack of education, right? People just don't know how much volume they should actually be trying to like have in a program. And like at the time I didn't have a coach, right? I didn't have a coach. I barely had enough of a base level knowledge for myself. So what I was looking at was just workouts. Like you said on widebuilding.com, we'll, we'll plug that, I guess. Um, but at the time that's, that was my source, right? I'd go on there and I'd be like, Oh, Jeff Stepani's shortcut to size. That's like a classic one, right? Or a shortcut to shred. And then I would just run that and just be like, okay, this is cool. But I mean, at least it built the habit, right? It got me in the gym and it obviously kind of helped spark this direction of where I wanted to go career-wise. Yeah. And that's the thing about like the sensation versus stimulation thing. And I've had that recurring topic of conversation, at least in my own head and with some of my clients outright about it. But that's the problem with it is that when you first start and you have no base, sensation is stimulation because when you're working with zero, you feeling like you're working in the general vicinity of what you're trying to grow is literally enough stimulation to start that ball rolling. But it's, as you said, with your top of Saluji, like knowing as you progress, like when that ball starts to really roll, okay, how much of this sensation is actually giving me real stimulation at this stage? But that's the yeah. thing where, again, people get paralyzed by how much knowledge there is outright. It's the same as anything in life. The more you know before you've ever done anything, the more it becomes almost this paralyzing effect. Yeah. Do go, chase stimulation or excuse me, chase, chase sensation. When you first start, understand how to move, understand like what a muscle feels like when it contracts, because if you're going from yeah. dead sedentary or like never trained in your life before, use yeah. your hands on your knees, man, get your glutes doing yeah. things. It'll accidentally align you in a better posture to really use hip extension on squat, whatever, but it should be yeah. this general growth process to a certain point in time where, like you said about the volume thing, you have a better idea of what is actual valuable metrics to track and not just what a muscle feels like. Yeah. And like sensation at least gets you to feel how a certain exercise should feel to a, to an extent, right? I mean, obviously you're going to be getting a ton of other systematic fatigue or muscular fatigue just from other stuff that's happening at that time, but you're going to be able to feel like what it actually feels like to have your biceps working or what it actually feels like to have your quads working. Right. Which is a very valuable thing that a lot of people don't know because you know, they'll hop onto a machine and it's obviously some machines, it's not super clear what you're supposed to be feeling as like a primary or like a secondary mover, but it's obviously really important just to know like, okay, well, this is what I should be feeling at least to a point. It creates that proprioception, right? Yeah, exactly. 
and to a certain extent it's the same as the sensation versus stimulation thing like if you're just getting into it like a multi-joint movement oh i'm supposed to feel it more here versus more here the fact that both or all the joints or all the muscles are doing something just by sheer virtue of movement again it's a starting the ball rolling in the right direction where if it's moving the thing it's got to be being used and that's where the sensation versus stimulation thing again rears its head where you're stimulating it even though you may not be getting the amount of uh, sensation that you were expecting if the thing is moving it's definitely doing something um the easiest thing example of that i have like in a lot of people's programs are going to be face pulls and it's is a face pull the absolute best thing for hypertrophy of anything in that general vicinity of the 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 back the delts the upper back stuff like that not really but if baby has never done anything in the gym before, that's a sick upper back and rear delt and what have you hypertrophy exercise because it's more yeah. than zero and they don't necessarily even need to feel exactly what's working. If the arms are doing that, everything in that general general vicinity is getting a shotgun burst of some stimulation that it's never gotten before. Yeah. And it's without them knowing this, obviously, you know this, but like as the coach, it's also like a super base level of shoulder stability, but they're not really thinking about like that aspect of it, but you're putting them through it without them like cognitively thinking about it. Yeah. That's the thing that's really started to emerge everywhere is like how many things can you train at once when the reality is a lot of those things are always happening no matter what, if you're not injuring people, like I don't, I don't think I've ever thought of it the way you phrased it. Like, well, I'm going to be get training a base level of shoulder stability by putting their arms slightly overhead and having it go through this axis of rotation through the movement, blah, blah, blah. Correct. I've never thought of it that way because aim number one is me as a, as a trainer is I'm not going to let this person get hurt. That sort of encompasses training all of those things through load management and, and like adequate progressions or intelligent progressions. But that's where, again, it comes into that effect where people are knowing more and more about different prongs of benefits to different things and not really realizing what are some things that are always kind of happening in the background. And the idea of like, I give the continuum sort of reference for people that are training. Oftentimes they want strength, they want hypertrophy, they want endurance of some capacity, but it's like all on a continuum and how much of that is being emphasized at any given point in time. The same can be said about training for stability, training for hypertrophy, training for strength, or any number of different goals. It's what is the exercise selection? How much on that continuum is it emphasizing any one of those things? And that is to say basically that nothing is, no one thing is training everything optimally, but it's not like it's not training everything to some extent. Yeah, it's all, like like you mentioned, it's all about it comes down to just efficiency too, but it's also like a, it's a programming like smartly and it's having somebody actually overlook it, but being able to like adjust, you know, volume and being able to load manage, right. By like just obviously selection and order of exercises too. Um, but a lot of it just comes down to like, obviously your current expertise or your current knowledge level, but then also like the benefit of having a coach. Cause they can obviously do that for you. Cause lots of people don't really care about like, volume they don't really care about load management they don't really care about exercise order selection they just care about like okay am i getting stronger cool am i you know am i moving with less pain awesome and like that for them is like a good landmark to actually just base it off of on its own um but i think probably doing prescript courses has made me think more like on a large aspect of being able to program with more intention 
and being able to have people in indirect positions without them really thinking about it, right? Like I have some clients right now dealing with shoulder issues. I have some clients that have been dealing with, you know, knee pain, you know, hip stuff, the classic, the classic issues, right? But being able to get them to move without pain has been like a big thing. And most of the time they don't even know what I'm putting them through. But then, you know, they mentioned that they can do stuff that they'd never been able to do before. So it just shows that, you know, with accurate programming and just being able to actually, in a sense, like scope out sometimes too, and being able to like examine the whole situation. It's important. Yeah. Like a client is effectively outsourcing their brain to you on this subject matter. Like they're not necessarily going to even know the benefits of what they're doing. Most of the time they don't want to, even in my level of like uh, experience in training humans and the, the foregone conclusion that Eric knows a ton of stuff because here's the resume. It's like nine times out of 10, they just want to talk about their day. There's never like, okay, we're going to do X, Y, or Z. And here's why, let me break it down for you. So you know exactly the benefits. Like, no, 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 man. I hired you explicitly because I trust you and I don't want to know this. I'm outsourcing all of this material to you to organize on the background. And I never want to think about it. Yeah. That's most of your clients. But then there's like me and Blake. (laughs) Which are the fun ones though, because like, Anytime that someone asks a question, and this is something genuine that I have had conversations with clients from like absolute new gym experience, first time ever, all the way through to like training other trainers, you should be prepared for any, any client ever to why you into oblivion, like the 7,000, like you're, you're, you're talking to like a, uh, like a toddler and without even listening to the answer, they're just going to ask why repeatedly over and over and over. And you should have the answer every single time, because even if you haven't necessarily put a ton of thought into that particular workout, because it's like super base, you just need the general benefits of let's do foundational movement patterns, maybe some stability work. It's just a general, right? If someone asks you why you should have enough experience to understand why you would have even autopilot chose those, those decisions for them. to the point where mm-hmm. if they go down, like everything's it's turtles all the way down and they just keep asking why, or whatever that statement is, you should have the answer at all times. And so training other trainers is like that on blast because you are educated. You are going through a lot of the continued ed, even beyond like the base of what most trainers will do. So if I don't mind my P's and Q's, if I don't have a reason, if I am lazy in my programming, I think some of you are really going to notice. And it keeps me having to drive better and better content, better and better programming, have everything at like the tip of the spear in terms of if this question gets asked here, like here's seven answers, here's seven rationales, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then I think that's why, like, I've told you about it before, but I obviously enjoy working with you because we have that relationship where it's like, it's kind of almost like a mentorship, which is kind of like what we started at the beginning is like, I will, I want somebody that can challenge the way that I think and force me to think outside the box. Cause that's what a lot of your clients will do. And like, you know, you'll get a lot of clients that just kind of like roll with the punches. They're just going to come in they just want to get a good workout in and then they just wouldn't be there without you. And that's totally fine. But like, I have a couple of clients that will dig and be like, why are we doing this? Why is this in the program? Right. And that's, that's good. Like I honestly, like when I, when they ask questions, I'm like, Hey, I encourage you guys to ask questions because it challenges my thought process. And then maybe there's something that I missed. If there's something that I missed, I have to like reevaluate and make some adjustments. Cause that's, that's how, that's what coaching is. You don't like the times that, I've changed a program. I couldn't even count how many times I've changed a program. But if you like set a program up for four weeks and you just leave it, it's not coaching. That's just training. Cause you're just like, okay, here's a template to follow. Here's bare bones. You're just doing this. But the real coaching, like we've talked about it with prescript guys too, is like when you actually have to make modifications for that individual, 
and, you know, consider external factors that play a heavy factor on, you know, their recovery, on their rest, on their output and everything too. That's when the real coaching comes into factor. But that's obviously why, like I've said it tons before, but I'm thankful for having you as a coach because you care about what you do uh, and it reflects obviously on what you put out and who you work with. So. Well, the longer you do this and the more, the high, the higher the caliber, the mind that you're working with as well. And I don't mean that in terms of just generally, I mean, like in, in this field, like when you start to work with high caliber minds within this field as potential clientele, it becomes basically a collaborative effort because you should know enough to like have a general base on what should work for your goals. But for whatever reason, accountability, mentorship, uh, higher experience level, whatever you're, you're still reaching out, right? You're trying to learn, you're trying to better yourself. So let's re reach out to an additional resource. But at a certain point in time, at least the way that I do it, it should become semi-collaborative. Like I know exactly how I would train you to get to where you want to be, but it's nothing exists in a vacuum. It's why I still, even though for you, if it's a strength goal, if it's a hypertrophy, hypertrophy goal, you know, I could literally send you like six weeks of the same thing over and over, just saying like copy paste all the way through being like, try harder than last time. That's <laughs> it. But that's not how it works. So even to that extent where you know exactly what you should be doing, if I send you a program, you kind of know how it's going to go. I still send yeah. weekly updates because nothing exists yeah. in a vacuum. Life occurs, a tweak, this, that, and the other thing. You didn't sleep well. You didn't hit the numbers you were quote unquote supposed to. Sure. Um, you don't like the thing that we're currently doing, which is a fair expression of let's make a change to the program, which I get all the time. And that's where I really lean on the collaborative thing because here's the intent behind how I was programming you, right? This is what this exercise, this set, this rep, this, whatever, this level of intensity, that's why I did it. How can we deliver you that same outcome with something else? That's not going to make you lose your mind. Insert collaborative brainstorming, or I know, I know you, I know Blake, I know a lot of other people. I kind of know how you guys think, okay, if it's not this, then maybe this will work for them. And that just, it's an insertion of a different exercise that will get you, it's, it's just a different path to the same general outcome. That's what I really enjoy because it challenges me, yes, but it also allows you guys to get a deeper look into how my brain operates from this. It's not just like one route to the thing, even though that might be the most optimal, fastest path there. It is how many tools are at your disposal to guarantee as many people that you're going to work with as possible actually see results yeah i think it comes down to like obviously what you mentioned before it's like you can have different avenues to get at the same goal or have different routes to get at the same goal so that's why it's it's funny because lots of times i'll send you something and then in the next video or next thing that i send you it's usually me answering my own question yeah, it's like i said i send a question to you and i'm just like wait no it's this it's this it's this but then it's just like a soundboard. It's just like, am I completely out to lunch or am I on the right path at least? But that's why, like, I obviously, I trust you. I trust your opinion. That's why I hired, I hired you. It's like, okay, well, is this the right thought process or am I completely left field? And that's, and that's the benefit of it. But it's also like, I, I, I talked to anybody about this too. It's like, if you're not constantly questioning your current methods of training, are you getting better as a coach? Like that, that's a big thing, right? If you're not looking at your programs from a while back and you're like, why did I have that in there? It's like, well, like, are you really getting any better? Because the only way to actually learn and to grow is to actually just like learn from your current mistakes that you've made or to just elaborate on your current thought process. And like, just because you did it before doesn't mean that you're dumb. doesn't mean that you're a bad coach. It just means that that's what you thought was right at that time. And like at the same time too, it's like, is a client going to get mad at you for changing something out because you think that this is a better 
modality or exercise or variable for their goals? I can tell you right now that a ton of my clientele have an extreme trust, not necessarily that I know everything, but that I know enough or enough people that I can also reach for resources to whatever question or concern or goal they may have. If it's not me, I have the capacity to either learn really fast to get them there or have I have other resources. I have other people that I can lean on as well to help us get there too. People are going to work with who they want to work with, not necessarily the person with the most knowledge for everything in the world because it's that's why there are networks of professionals. Like we all have our scopes of practice, our expertise levels, but it's yeah. they make the connection with who they they find benefits from that will go from like the raw just programming in this example side of things like okay you're confident in programming i trust you what have what have you but just as a person i want to go through this experience with you because i for whatever reason i connect best with your methodology your personality and so on and so forth like experience in that respect is going to be the greatest dictator of success for you as a coach and also the clients and it's a big reason why a lot of you guys that have a coaching background i allocate spare time free time for like go have fun like you've done it yourself where you're like hey i'm gonna go hit this on this day is that cool yeah like if it wasn't like yeah. i literally i will shit can that so fast like or i'll be like peel this off the next one because you're not gonna have the recovery for it mm-hmm. but just because you know a thing without actually experiencing it it's very difficult for you to teach someone else so if i keep everybody just on the rails of this is only what you're going to do period without giving them a little bit of leeway to experience it themselves, they won't be able to provide that same level of value for their clients. So it's a very fun experience depending on who you're working with. If it's a trainer and you're trying to give them like literally their goals, but also improved skill set as a coach, it's a very, very unique experience. That's why I think, I think it was last week we had a talk where I trained that whole week and then I wanted to do another upper body day. And I think the fact that you said yes was good because it let me actually test my tests, like test the limits and stuff. Right. But also realize what is too much and when it's time to actually, you know, cut back and like being able to find the signs and being able to realize when you've hit that, like hit that wall. Right. So for me, when I trained on that weekend, I was like, Hey, this is flaring up. It hasn't flared up in a while. This is bothering me. I'm like, okay, well, I have to look at it from a larger standpoint. And that's when I have to actually do some physical coaching for myself. Right. Cause like, obviously you're there for me to, to talk with and to bounce ideas off of, but it's also like a good learning opportunity for me and a good example of what to look like to what, to what to look at for other clients. It's like, okay, if like other clients are showing these signs or showing these indicators, it's like, okay, well maybe, you know, I've seen these before. Um, is this maybe an indicator that we have too much pressing volume, too much overhead volume, you know, like this kind of stuff that they can't handle in a program. And like, that's why I said, cause I remember at some point you're like, no, it's like on me for giving you the okay. And I'm like, well, no, it's on me. Like you're not in person. You're not here in the space with me. Right. If I was like, Hey, my pecs, my pecs bugging me. I know you would have been like, cut it, but you weren't there. Right. So like, I was like, okay, well, let's, let's do it. Um, so that's why like I always own and take responsibility for it because that's how you get better as a coach too. And that's how you get better as like an athlete as well. It's like, you can't blame other people for stuff that you chose to do like willingly, right? Like I chose to do it on my own, on my own, just because I wanted to, but I took it as a chance to grow from it and get better from it. And then also, again, just kind of evaluate my current function or my uh, current health, of my shoulder too. Well, and that's the thing about the experiential factor of training and also training others is 
like I can tell you right now that I'm on the absolute loosest program possible because I don't recover well, not because I don't have the capacity to, but because I prioritize apparently my recovery, like behind everything and everyone else in my life, which I'm cool with. I've accepted that. But what that means is that my microcycles are longer or I have a very acute understanding of what does it feel like physically, mentally, all the things when I am actually good to go for something that's, that's actually challenging and not like externally stable or internally stabilized, what have you. Um, something that might actually take a little bit of prep work and it's not just straight a machine or cardio. Like I know what it's like to be fully recovered because I'm chronically in this state of just running that line of like, is this a good idea versus a bad idea? And yeah. you kind of have to have a little bit of experience doing that where now, even though it, there may not be the greatest telltale signs of like, do you have the capacity to go full today? Or is this, okay, I know the program says that this, maybe I'll shave off a set here. Maybe I won't, maybe I'll push it till tomorrow and give myself an additional day. Like those experiences yeah. will give you the understanding of how you best operate and what it actually, I don't want to say the sensations, but like the, the, as you said, the signs or the telltale signs of like, am I fully recovered? Is this a good idea right now? Yeah. And like, it's, it's always so interesting, right? Cause I can on a client, if they're telling me something feels, something feels whack, I'm like cut volume, cut a couple accessories that day. Right. That's so easy for me to do because it's not, I'm not directly emotionally in the situation myself. Like obviously I care about the client but when it comes to my own training though, I'm so stubborn. Like I will like try something until it literally like hurts. And I've tried to change that mindset and that thought process because that's not a good way to train it's not a good way to go about my own programming too. Like, and just over time and experience, I've learned that it's, it takes a really, takes a lot of skill and a lot of honestly, like know how to be able to realize when you've been having too much volume, when you've been training too hard and like maybe when you're not recovering enough. So that's why it's good that I can always chat with you. And then you're like, well, what's been going on this week? Like, is there anything that's different outside the norm? And then that makes me reflect more, right? And evaluate current stress levels too. That's something that I do with all my clients. But I think as coaches, we always tend to forget to do it for ourselves too. And we always think that, that we're kind of like on this pedestal that we should be training at this, you know, this theoretical outcome or this theoretical intensity level at all times. Well, it's like, no, because there's so many considering factors all the time. Um, but then it takes, you know, a big person to be able to be like, Hey, this is too much volume for me today. I need to cut this or I need to stop this because like you need to be able to make that choice for you. Cause it's better than trying to deal with an injury. Yeah. It's one of my biggest personal problems is like knowing when to pull it back because I'll just, th I will throw myself under the bus because of exactly what you said, like that trainer ego where regardless of how exhausted I am, like we both know the trainer lifestyle, like early mornings, late nights, all the hours throughout the day on your feet, the whole thing where, you're probably under recovered relative to your clients for most things that you're going to do all, right? all the time, <laughs> but like you're used to the volume or you're used to the doms, you're used to the certain level of exertion per workout. And it gets to this, this tipping point where it's no longer beneficial to you, but you can still do it, but it's a self-destructive outcome. It's no longer adaptive. It's self-destructive. That's me to a yeah. T for the longest time and I'm getting better at it. But if it came to low intensity steady state, like even like when it's not winter, Walking would probably be a good tool to give me rest days, active rest days, if you want to use that terminology, but actually being able to take my foot off the gas in terms of, well, I didn't train myself into the ground today. That's not a uh, requisite level of intensity or volume to really see progress. It wouldn't have been anyways, but having something else to do that isn't just like nothing, 
even I still grapple with that. Yeah. And I think like, it's just that it's that competitive thought process too. Like, especially I find people that used to do some sort of sport, right. Um, they have a tougher time of being able to cut back or knowing when to cut back because you're dealing with that inner, inner like conflict, right. You're like, okay, well, if I skip today's session or if I don't hit today's theoretical, you know, prescribed weight, or if I don't hit what I hit last week, then all of a sudden you, you base your value off that as a coach or as an athlete. It's like, well, you know, cause you're not always going to be like at a hundred percent. And that's the thing is like, you're hundred percent. So subjective. It's not going to be the same thing every day or every week. Yeah. It's hard for me to tell, honestly, like I have baseline numbers that I can hit on, on many of my hypertrophy lifts and many of my like, like barbell lifts at the drop of a hat. I kind of know, but like, what is my max? I actually have no idea because I haven't really strung together true strength training long enough for like the last couple of years uh, to really have like a baseline knowing like I, I could hit 315, a lot of things I could hit like 225, a lot of things, whatever for volume. But like, if I were to try to max it that day, let's yeah. test, let's figure it out. I don't know. And that number yeah. is most likely going to be significantly nuked because of my chronic state of, of like under recovery. So like I am pretty much a poster child for knowing when to pull back but not actually doing it. That's me. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be like, make sure I'll tell my clients, make sure you're doing all your, your prep work. Make sure you're, you know, you're monitoring how you feel with pain on like a weekly basis. But then me, it's like, wow, my shoulder feels okay. Let's do it. <laughs> it's like, let's get yeah. <laughs> do some rotational stuff. Do some uh, bottom under press. Yep. Good to go, man. That clicking, that's that's normal ish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good to go. But uh, yeah, yeah, we'll 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 change gears a little bit. Um, obviously that we went on that little bit of a tangent, but that's obviously super important stuff. I still think for training in general, because as most people don't realize, like even as coaches, we still deal with a lot of um, personal issues, and um, we do have our own like internal struggles that I don't think a lot of people see. So. Um, I'm trying to be more transparent about that, like even just with my social media stuff too. So it's good to talk with other professionals that are also like open about that because I think that's a side of fitness that people don't typically see. Um, but I guess to bounce off of that, uh, we kind of a little bit talked about your background because I know that you went to university. But um, for those of you that uh, maybe have never actually talked to Eric or met Eric before, um, I just wanted you to talk about your um, educational background. Sure. Um so what we talked about, like sort of at the beginning of the the podcast, just going through high school, it was kind of like a foregone conclusion for my brother and I to both go to university. So that was where we were, we had the opportunity, luckily, to pretty much just select what we were interested in. Um, I didn't really know anything at the time. Like I had minimal hobbies. I was kind of like just derelict in terms of like having a plan. Uh, but I did know that I really enjoyed training. And so when kinesiology was just in the pamphlet as like the science of human movement or, or exercise for, for lack of a better term. Okay. At least I'm interested in that. Maybe it'll have some direct personal benefits. Let's try that, which is not necessarily exactly how you're supposed to choose a degree, like enjoy your degree for sure. But is this something that is going to just sink money and then maybe benefit me? Or is this something that I can actually utilize for a career? Right. Thankfully, I did fall in love with training. Yes, even more so during the process. But I went through with the express idea of becoming a personal trainer. That was the only thing that made sense to me because either you go and do physical education as a stream, which no, you go physiotherapy, which at the time, now I'm a little bit more interested in it. But at the time, it was like the furthest thing from my brain. 
okay, personal trainer. Sure. Why not? That makes, I guess, some sense. So I did the kin degree and shot out and immediately got uh, into like the commercial gym scene. Drained it for about a year and a half, two years. Hit the same burnout that I guarantee every single person that's ever been a trainer has hit. Uh, just at the beginning of your career, you work literally every hour that you possibly can, every opportunity you, you take, you stretch yourself way too thin. And then after a certain amount of time, you hit the wall, burnout, and have to second guess whether or not you're doing this for a career or if you start looking for an escape route. That is all to say, no one knew that I burned out because I went back to school under the pretense that, oh, I'm trying to improve my quality product, the quality of my product for my clients. So I had a kin degree and then I went back for a second degree in nutritional sciences because I thought that would be a great pairing to help people, which truly I do think that, but more than that, like secretly is probably more, more geared towards the fact that I was severely burning out in terms of a professional career in personal training. So I went back, did the two year undergrad in nutritional sciences since I had already done a four year, uh, I had a lot of prereqs, so I had an accelerated stream towards the end of that. I was still little bit iffy on what I was going to do if I was going to go back to just the commercial gym uh, if I was going to change careers I didn't really know uh, and then a professor got in my ear about doing grad school so literally like I said earlier waiting blindly through everything I was like sure master of science that sounds like something I could do it definitely isn't not in my wheelhouse at all especially at the time but like the the interesting thing is truly when you learn how you are successful and then understand to apply those skills to everything, you can achieve whatever you want. So the horrendous first experience as a personal trainer that I stuck out and then found my success through taught me how to be successful in my second, more successful rather in my second stint in undergrad, getting the second degree, that level of success, that self-efficacy, that understanding, okay, that worked in this setting. It now worked in this setting all right, grad school, cool, let's start applying it there. And it's a much more intense experience, but I was able to get through grad school using the same general principles of how I found success, which was small daily habits, a willingness to sacrifice sleep, the, like, if, go read Atomic Habits, probably that entire book. I've never read it, but I guarantee, like, there's going to be a lot of overlap between that book and a ton of successful people, hence why it's a book. But I did the grad school thing, got that wild experience of, like, fully completing a master of science in kinesiology, publishing the whole thing. And I was like, yeah, I, I actually still want to be a personal trainer. I still want to go back into the field and do commercial gym training because at the heart of why I started and why I want to go back is the fact that I always felt like it doesn't matter if you're an athlete, it doesn't matter if you're you know, wealthy or if you're a student, everybody deserves to have the highest quality training or access to the highest quality information. And so I thought that the best way for me to expose people to better information, better training, better everything was through the commercial gym setting. So that's why I sent myself back once I entered the workforce. So was that when you were at Good Life? Yeah, both all my commercial gym experience has been through Good Life or the university that I worked at. Uh, the first stint was in their downtown location in Winnipeg, which they have recently moved and upgraded which it looks really nice and then the second one was in a different location closer to where i live which is wildly more convenient for me so how long were you just like a pt for because i know that you obviously from there because just as we've spoken right you went from the pt route to the education route and then you're continuing to do the education route through you know um prescript and through other stuff as well but how long did you do just training for so we did from about 2011 slash 2012, the first time, 
Uh, and then during school, I was still freelancing slash working at the university's gym and doing some training there. So all the way through the four years there and then back out, I think it was like close to three or four again. It was like two. Yeah, it was about 2017, I think, to like mid pandemic. So like we'll call it 2020, 2021, something like that. Pandemic makes everything a blur, but on the total, it was probably about a decade or so of being a live in-person trainer in some capacity, either working at the U of M or working at uh, a good life towards the tail end. Uh, that's where like good life really put in strongly to, to boost the standard of education of all of their trainers, regardless of whether or not they had the opportunity to go to the more academic route that I did. So they started developing like higher and higher quality, uh, like trainer education resources through bringing in courses, but also through the internal system. Uh, and yeah. I was lucky enough to be a part of that and actually get a foot in the door of the education sphere that I am in now and generate a little bit of experience doing seminars and leading sort of educational content through the the gyms that I had access to in Winnipeg. Okay. Yeah. Cause um, like I've just spoken about you at work and then I think other people know who you are. Like um, Greg Merritt is my current boss. Yeah. Um, so I know Greg, obviously, and then Chris Krulicki was doing education for um, the Edmonton region or like that area, because I know before him and Greg were like regional for different areas of Edmonton, but he was doing education for a while. And I believe he knows you as well, because I, I mean, he also knows like Killian and he also knows all those guys as well. Yeah. Um, it's kind of crazy how like tightly knit the whole circle is. But um, so obviously, when did you make the switch from online or from in person to online? when the pandemic hit then? Yeah, that was a, a rough one. Cause like the first shutdown hit us all and we, no one knew in the world, like what, how this is going to go, what's going on. Um, so we were all shut down for, I think it was like about three months. It was like March ish until June, July ish, three, four months, yeah. whatever that would be. And then we started the slow sort of tentative reopening, like in, in Manitoba, the, the summertime was really good. Like our numbers were excellent. So nothing was, people were still cautious, but life was pretty good. Um, but towards the fall, as the waves just kept coming and going, I kind of got like the whiff of the, like the smell in the air of like, this is going to be a multiple shutdown thing. Like I just sort of started thinking that way. And I didn't like the idea of like having my business start and stop, start and stop in the very variability. And of all people, um, my wife actually fully supported and pushed me to start an independent business. And it's not to say that like, she's not a supportive person. She's wildly supportive. She's the best person in the world. But it's more so like I was raised and I always ran with the assumption. This is one of the few times I've, I've been wrong about her. Uh, I was raised this way and my assumption about her was like, always go the route of stability. And I was willing to do that because yeah. we were in a wildly unstable time. So having the infrastructure of a gym, having a base level of clientele that would always come back each time, like I was really grappling with it. I was grappling with, should I continue as a yeah. trainer? Should I get into management? Like what is the route that would take me further in my career? especially as like a mentor in my thirties, things of that nature. Right. Uh, and then she gave me the boost. Like, no, you sh you need, you always should have been, and you need to be doing something on your own. Like you need to be running your own business. You need to have the freedom to do what you're going to do. And at that stage, like literally I planned like the escape uh, route, like from that point on, I knew exactly the date. I knew exactly what I was going to do. I started building the infrastructure in the background. Um, and I think it was like two weeks after I quit. Like I, I fully launched independent second shutdown happened. So sweet. Like I just, I smelled in the air, I got the right support from the right people. And then that's what sort of launched me into the online space. I yeah. 
Good Life themselves, I don't know. I'm not, I don't have I don't have that much contact with people there right now, but I know they've been dabbling with it. Uh, they started bringing out virtual because they sensed like it's probably the same thing as me. Like we have to make sure there's a way that people can keep working, keep training clients. Um, so virtual became a thing while I was still there. And I think like everybody at this stage is sort of aiming for an online component, but I'm not sure if they've gotten there yet. Yeah. Yeah, I think, well, like you mentioned before, that that stability is comforting, right? So doing something that there really is no stability and there you can't see the outcome, it's a little bit scary. So it's nice that she supported you in that endeavor, right? And was like, no, I like I want you to go all into this. Because I mean, obviously, like, just you seem passionate about what you're doing now. And I honestly couldn't really see you just being stuck in a gym doing the whole like commercial thing. Um, just by how, you know, right now you're able to just do kind of whatever you like, which you're able to like dabble in different areas, which is nice. You're not really held down to one thing specifically. Well, that's really where the benefits to me, but also all the things I have my hand active in is the fact that my brain needs to be spinning multiple plates. And that's the reason yeah. that, like, towards the end of my second stint with Good Life, I was really, again, grappling, like, do I, do I step into management? Like, because I'm not saying it's easy as a career. Like, we both know it's a, it's a very challenging and rewarding career. Like, but the longer yeah. you do it, you kind of get your systems of success. You kind of know how to keep the, the ship running no matter what. Um, I thought I was quitting a couple times. So I literally tanked my business thinking I was leaving and then brought it back with, like, next to no blip in my pay. Like, I... I developed my system so I knew what I was doing. So it wasn't necessarily the most challenging thing in the world right now. And your career doesn't have to be terrifyingly challenging. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah. But like my yeah. brain operates on if things become too stagnant, I start looking elsewhere. Like how can I either, either a hobby, a different career, a, a something, something's got to change. And where I'm at now, I still have that foot in training. I still do training clearly because you're one of my clients. I do virtual here and there. I have a couple of people looking potentially to do freelance again. Maybe we'll see. Um, but having an active uh, play in education, in writing for bar event, in all these other prongs of my interests, so I can keep those things running. I was still, uh, even as a personal trainer, I was still interacting with my old lab group in uh, at the University of Manitoba. We were still writing papers. I'm up at like four in the morning, burning boats, writing academic papers before I go and then do personal training the entire day. Like I needed some, even though it's crazy self-destructive for my own health, kept that, yeah. kept that going strongly enough. I didn't die, but it's like my brain constantly yeah. needs these spinning plates. Yeah. I think the real poison is complacency. I think complacency is what will drive people's decision-making, right? It's like, okay, well, are you in a comfortable spot where you're making enough money? And that's where people usually get lost and lost in like, and they can't see through the trees, right? It's like, they're making enough money to cover all their expenses. They're making enough money to be able to do what they want to do, but then they get complacent and then they're not pushing themselves in the sense, like you mentioned, like you're not doing stuff that's regularly outside of your comfort zone and you're not doing things that you better yourself as a person or career wise. So that's why it's good that like, well, I'm lucky to be a part of this community where, you know, a lot of the coaches are very forward thinking and driven, right? A lot of them are always like doing stuff that they're not just like, they're not just talking the talk. Like they're actually walking it and doing it for themselves. And that's why like, I think Shiloh leads by example, right? Cause he doesn't just sit there behind a computer and is like, yeah, burn boats. Like he actually literally gets up at four in the morning every day. He's not like, you know, it's not like automated. It's not like an automated message. He's off at like four in the morning. He's actually, you know, he's doing it right. Um, and that's why I think he's, he's been able to build something so successful, but then also it attracts like a certain 
a certain and like a certain coach, right? It attracts a certain person because they're like they're drawn to it because you have to have that same mindset and that same capacity too. Well, that was the thing with the education group with uh, Good Life is it, it really did breathe new life into my career. And I, like I said, I'm very grateful for the opportunity there because it expanded my worldview of the company because I actually had touch points across the entirety of the of the, the nation through all the educators across the across the company. Also, like the the manager of the entire thing, Eric, like it exposed me to people that were not just in my region because I was very insulated. Like I only, I knew my people and I love my people, but okay you're in Edmonton. You did not exist in my world. It was just like that, that phantom ghost. Let's have a rivalry talk shit on the Edmonton region and we'll never interact. Yeah. And then I got on the education committee and I was like, okay, well there's him. There's her. There's Chris Fudge there right now. And it's like, okay, here are these people that I can start indirectly competing with or like competing with respect to the fact that they're, that's where they're at in their career. Oh my God, that's what's possible. Okay. Let's go shoot for that now. It gave me a different yeah. touch point, a different, a different uh, perspective on what you can be doing. But again, that then expanded once I had hit almost a ceiling in that respect as well, at least a perceived ceiling, at least, or in that respect, a perceived ceiling with the pace that I wanted to continue doing. I did hit a certain point in time where it became a, a literal waiting game of your next promotion for X, your next opportunity for Y. It is literally like a longevity play. And that's what really started to eat eat at me. And so I get that same level of drive, like communal drive from the people that I rub shoulders with now through Prescript to have your peers be the squad of savages that we have on this team right now is simultaneously inspiring and intimidating at all times. Yeah. But if you're not intimidated by them, then you're probably in the wrong group. Pretty much. And that's just how it is. Yeah. Like, and that's, that's a really cool thing though. Like you mentioned like Chris Fudge, right? Like he's a pretty big name, but like, again, like you probably wouldn't have known him if you weren't through good life. Right. Cause he's, is he the, he's the only level seven, right? I'm sure he's eight at this stage. Cause the, the dude's always yeah. working and like raising the bar, but yeah, he yeah. was someone that I had one of my coworkers at the U of M was in Ottawa training at the same gym as him before she had come to Winnipeg for school. Uh, and that was my first sort of, touch point there is that she was like oh you remind me a bit of him because like i had an academic background i was going through my master's i was still a trainer um because she had literally like either done the darby thing that he would have uh, taught or she worked directly with him and ever since then it's like the it's you just keep hearing the same name repeated over and over and start looking into it it's like oh okay there's there's what you can actually achieve within this company let's figure this out yeah no and like i started with good life too and like i'm grateful that, that was my first job right like i think if anything, a commercial gym provides you with a lot of opportunity. Um, there's all, all ton of room to grow with the company, right? Like if you do want to go the management route, there is that opportunity, right? If you like being in the commercial space where you have like a more of like a sense of stability and comfort, then you can obviously work in a commercial gym and you can obviously still move up too, right? But I think the education is one aspect of it that is probably the best aspect of in commercial space is that you have a lot of collaboration with a lot of like larger companies, that you can actually like lots of them will give you discounts, right? If you're like an employee and you're like, okay, this course is running through, uh, which is, you know, normally wouldn't probably be available to you if you weren't a part of the good life or even through like Mobody too, right? Like Mobody has a lot of stuff coming through where they're all um, like, again, benefits for having 
for their employees, right? And then having stuff like kind of like rolling in too. And like, obviously now um, Prescript is doing stuff with Movadi as well, which I kind of figured it was just a matter of time. Um, but there's lots of stuff kind of in the works with that. But it's, a, again, it's, it's neat. And any new PT, I always tell them that you should get into a commercial gym, just get some reps in, get some experience with that. Cause that's where you learn the most. Cause you make a lot of your mistakes. That's where you probably have a lot of your own growth. It's like your first year of training. That's basically what anyone that is successful in any aspect of this space, like fitness, that's what, what I've experienced everybody echoing is the existence of online now was not a thing when I was coming up. I, I openly yeah. mocked it. I thought it was ridiculous because I had in-person personal trainer as my only experience. And I was like, how do you give someone the same level of quality and results guaranteed online? It did not make sense. And then slowly over the evolution, like our brave initial, like early, early adopters, like got slaughtered in the line of fire of figuring out how to properly do this. And their mistakes eventually were what molded into what online can and continues to grow through right now. Like I'm able to offer my online because of all of the mockery that I outright gave what the early iterations of online were up until and including this point. However, new trainers, they just have that as an option now. And they think that like, well, that's, that's the play go online because you get 10,000 followers in like X amount of dollars that you pay this bot or whatever's going to happen. However, I'm supposed to do it now. Um, yeah. and that immediately is the first route to doing it. When the reality is always go the in-person route, go the commercial route, figure out yeah. all the prongs in the background of a healthy, successful business that need to be in play before you ever launch into independence. Because if freelance was the big scary back when commercial gyms and freelance were the only thing, because, oh my God, you have to generate your own leads. You have to find where to train this commercial gym right here has their own set of trainers and they will literally ban me and potentially my clients or suspend them or whatever they might do. I don't know if we get busted, like, oh my God, how do I make this work? Versus like having an actual infrastructure to back you and learn all the ins and outs of the things that you'll actually have to account for. Like when you, yeah. when you convert to online, how many people are still doing under the table? How many people have an actual tax account? There's a real one. So like thing, it's, just, it's still strange to me that people don't, treat their business like it's a business and then expect other people to respect them enough to pay them a high salary like it doesn't make any sense yeah yeah yeah, yeah it's like well well they'll just say cash only but they're like you know i have a business and i'm like no your business isn't cash only okay. <laughs> like, cash is cash, that's some old stuff but, like, that's that's a drug deal is cash only <laughs> yeah. like, you transfer, like, credit cards i don't do cash what are you talking about yeah yeah no traces right <laughs> no it's it's um <laughs> It's cool. It's like I had I had Reno on. I'm sure you might know who Reno is. Yeah. Um, and we talked recently on like my other podcast about that being one of the things about a commercial gym is like utilize your resources, right? And drop the ego too. Cause like that's one thing was like you mentioned with an online coach is like you don't have that same interaction. You don't have that same in-person skill that you learn. And like also you don't have the exposure, right? Like you don't have that massive amount of people coming through. Cause like like good life or Movadi, like there's so much volume coming through those gyms that like you, you learn fast and you learn quick what works and what doesn't work. And you also learn from your mistakes that you've made, right? Like consult wise, assessments wise, programming wise, and even exercise wise. Right. And that's like how you yourself just get better as a coach, but then you also get better at being able to cross stuff off and then exercise selection and, you know, variety order, et cetera. 
Well, and that's the thing too that people don't realize is that there's a direct profitability behind your success in a commercial gym, meaning there are systems in place to guarantee that you win because you winning is beneficial to the company as opposed to cool, figure it out or else you're starving. Like there's no one coming to save you. Like yeah, yeah. there's good and there's bad. I was lucky enough to have an exceptional relationship with a very high quality management all the way through my experience, but they were literally in place to teach you all the things that you would need to be successful, period. Like yeah. the best ones really do care. They invest in their people really strongly. And again, like that's the, the, a lot of the key components of my success on the business side of things is things that I learned from my fitness managers. And if you go through actually a couple of the pre-surf guys that have a background through good life as well, or through commercial gyms, more often than not, they have a really strong relationship with a fitness manager or a regional that took them under their wing and was like, listen, the, these are all the skills that you, you might be a really good trainer but these are the skills you need to actually be successful in the business that you care about. And that's how we all got the leg up and were able to survive in the industry and then have the skills necessary to actually convert to online or independent. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm pretty lucky to just like being at this Mobile location with it being like the only one in Western Canada, right? Like it's a strap team. Like mm-hmm. there's like 20, 25 of us there. I think PTs, right. Yeah. It's crazy. Like I, I would have never thought that I would have seen a team that big, but it's, again, like you're utilizing your resources, right? Like I'm pretty lucky that I have a good in with Greg. Um, and then, you know, Kyle McLean's there too, which again, worked with, worked closely with them, but then also just trying to utilize other PTs around me. Right. And trying to like learn what I can from them. Cause that's, it's an opportunity to like learn and grow from what they've done for courses too. Cause you know, lots of them are very, um, willing to go out of their way to actually kind of like, like you mentioned, kind of in a sense, like take you under their wing a little bit and, um, give you some of their time or at least like, you know, I'm sure you remember the old TNDs um, doing a TND on something that maybe like you haven't done personally, but like a course that they have done, like you can go in there and get like a lot of information for like, just like an hour, hour and a half of your time. And like, all that really means is, you know, maybe like extending your day by an hour or like starting an hour earlier that day or whatever. But like a lot of those things that are often overlooked, right. Just because people don't have the, time or don't want to make the time for it yeah the team these are a fun one because I, I basically just started commandeering them i was like listen i have clear experience over like whoever's running them right now let's just i'm just going to start doing these because and it, it's like i wanted people to know it wasn't like an ego thing or like a, a power trip thing it was like i want you to know what i know because you guys know what you should be doing but you don't know what you don't know about how to actually do it let me show you the things that are going to keep your people safe and keep you being successful because the worst thing in the world is for you to think you're doing the correct thing and then have a negative outcome, either an injury or a lack of progress or what have you because of things that you didn't know when there are resources around yeah. you at all times. Like being a standout when you could help create other standouts for many, many, many other clients like that ripple effect. Yeah. If you're in this industry, you're in it to help people. That ripple effect is actually something that should be very alluring to, to you. The more I teach you about what I know that could help others, the more you're able to help others. Did I not just expand my web of how much help I just gave the entire world? Like if that's why people are in this industry, right? Yeah. It's all about theory and like actual practical application though. Cause like you can know something, but if you don't actually use it efficiently and effectively, it's like, well, like what's the point of knowing it? But that's what you mentioned too. It's like you decided to share what you knew, which is again, like it's a big thing because you're, you're, helping educate other trainers around you and like not to say this in a rude way, but like people that are in the commercial space, 
and don't like don't like it then it's also like it helps wean people out pretty quickly right it wins people out and like if you don't like the job then it's probably just not for you because like you have to be able to realize that there's probably going to be like a three month a six month period where it's gonna be tough at least right or like and like you mentioned before really early in the podcast actually that like burnout it happens to so many trainers right and like most people don't say anything about it because you're just trying to pay your bills so like you're not going to say anything about it because you're just like this is like the means to an end right now and you know eventually it gets smoother but for the first bit it's rough like you're not gonna be sleeping much you're not probably you're probably gonna be missing meals probably gonna be skipping some of your workouts or condensing your workouts right that's when it's more important to be make sure that you're actually like prioritizing that stuff um that's why i liked what we talked about earlier about like making sure that you're making sure that you're making time for this kind of stuff because it's so easy to start cutting stuff right away just because you're like hey well if i can fit a decline in that time instead then like i should just do that but it's like well no you need to still be able to uh, like do stuff for yourself because by the end of the day like you need your own health too yeah it's um jokingly but not jokingly like especially towards the tail end of my in-person career was speaking to the new hires it was like okay make peace with your loved ones with your food and with your training like make sure that they are lined up and there are clear expectations set around all of those things um yeah. because it's going to be a rough bit of time like it's not it's not for everybody some people are prepared they have previous experience similar to what a trainer's first couple of months will be but it's like you're that's the singular purpose for most people and i think the industry is slowly changing where it's a little bit easier to to like fend for yourself early but when I yeah. came up, it was, you eat what you kill, man. Like you, your payments are directly related to, are you able to sign up clients and work those hours? It's an evolving industry where it's getting better and better in that respect. But like, that's just what I, and I'm, that's not no shade on that at all. Like that's also what helped me develop really fast was the understanding that, as you said, I've got bills or I'm trying to eat or I got whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah. Even yeah. now where there is more compensation, more things that are going to help be safety nets for trainers. It's like, you still want to get through that period as fast and as, as, as efficiently as possible. Yeah. That's a very sink or swim industry, like kind of like the, the lamest terms of it. Yeah. Um, but you, you find out right away. Like, and I mean, it depends how green you are, right? It depends on like, is this your first PT job? It depends how much experience you have, obviously, but you know, you find out right away if this is something you can see yourself being in long term. Because for the first bit, it's not going to be about the money. It's just about the fact that you're going to try to make an impact. And that's like the biggest thing is like you're trying to do what you can to help people that are, are coming in front of you. And like that's a lot of what we're just trying to accomplish here. It's like you're just trying to make somebody leave with something that they didn't come with to you with initially, right? Exactly. Yeah. We got a little off on, off on the side tangent there about trains in general, but that's fine. Um, I think it's an, it's an ever growing industry, right? That people need to realize more kind of like what they're getting into. And I think it's, it's a little bit over, over glorified sometimes. Like, I think people always just realize like, okay, like I'm going to come into a gym with a full roster and just be working full time. I'm like, no, <laughs> you're not. Yeah. But, um, Okay, so we'll kind of kick it off with a couple other ones here. Uh, we kind of talked about Prescript already because I know that you've been doing that with them for a little bit. Um, so when did you kind of initially hop on board and start helping with the labs? I know like because before you were doing Thunderdome with Bax for a while, um, but I know that you guys were just kind of like doing that for help. Um, and then I know like after that, the, the, you were kind of officially on board. And then obviously I saw you at the Provided Intensive and then all that stuff. So 
Yeah, we uh, I took PSL one originally. Like I'd seen Shala do a live seminar for Good Life, like October of twenty nineteen, maybe twenty eighteen. I have no idea. It's, it's been a while, right? Pre pandemic Shala. Yeah. Uh, I saw that live, and he was on my radar already because I just I saw him break down, um, pretty much a cherry picked study that was going around at the time, and people were like, putting on a pedestal about. It was like the efficacy of front squats and hip thrusts or something to that effect for sprint mechanics or some, something, right? Just, and it's no shade on either of that one. It was just breaking down the limitations that, yeah. that were being glossed over. And I thought it was a very smart breakdown that I hadn't seen a lot in the industry because it's, it's, it was on Instagram. It would just show up on my, my Discover feed, right? So that, he was yeah. on my radar. And then um, when Good Life started to pump up their education more and more and more, they were going to bring him through. He started his uh, circuit with the company and I saw him live. I just sort of sat in the back and I'm sure he like, he, if he remembers this, he'll test to it. I was just like literally sat in the back and eyeballed him for like two days. So I'm like, I'm trying to figure out how much, you know, and I was very like internally critical. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I was like, is this someone that I like actually can put stock in? So I'd only seen or been exposed to him through like that one little snippet. And I was like, okay, it sounds like a really like head on his shoulders, like switched on guy, but let's see, let's see what he's teaching. Let's see what he knows versus what I know. Let's see how he's going to go about it. And I was very impressed with it. I was very happy with the experience. And then that sort of like started things off down the rabbit hole of, oh, okay, he's going to come back and do this course. Well, for sure I'm in. Like, I trust this guy. I want to see how he teaches this concept now. Because I, again, I have experience at this point. I have education, but let's see what he knows. Then the world yeah. shut down and uh, PSL1 started becoming more and more of a thing. Like, I think he had done one or two dry runs as the not even it was like pre-pandemic or like the first iteration or two was just sort of getting kicked off but then the pandemic with everything being closed really accelerated online education because that's the only way with which you could do it so he offered up uh, a good life good life only uh run at it so that like the the company that he was already doing like touring education for could have an opportunity to take the course as well i took that and then that sort of sealed the deal where i'm like okay this is this is the community this is the organization that i would put my stock behind in terms of education they started running labs and lab sections in general like across the week which initially uh from my understanding was basically just like the the instructors would show up and it was q a and it was really cool because you got like it's not a lecture you just get open time with like these these people that are on the internet and i only know them from instagram where it was really neat let's just basically hang out for a while but it started to just slowly grow and evolve to less open Q and a more discussion and more trying to like follow up on course content and like really ingrain, like, do you understand what's happening? And so there's a couple throughout the, the week and I guess a couple of the, the, uh, the guys through a couple different cohorts, they wanted to have the experience of a prescript based content lab without an instructor there, because I'm sure you've experienced throughout your career and your life. People can oftentimes be like, too afraid to ask certain questions at the fear of being embarrassed or looking like they don't understand what clearly about whatever right and so having an instructor gone gives people more confidence a lot of the time to speak openly more so with their peers that's where Thayer's lab evolved from and so Bax and I slowly started jumping in on that one too because a, a, a mutual friend of mine that was in it he was like you would love you really dig this experience you've got to come to these so he gets me in I meet Bax in there and eventually Thayer evolves into the Thayer lab because they started realizing, oh, he's just running a lab. So why not, let's just make this a real thing. Bax and I were like, let's run with this. Let's just keep it going. Um, because clearly people will enjoy the experience of having like a uh, instructor free lab and just shoot the shit with the boys. Um, 
And there was just one time where someone was complaining about maybe their shoulder or something. I think shoulder stability on their bench. And I was like, bro, do you have a video? Just throw it up. Like I can toss on screen. You can look at it. It's going to be way faster than us just like theorizing if I can just see it. Um, so we did that. And that was literally from that point on the inception of the, what we call the Thunderdome, uh, which is a pet name for just a technique lab that it is now. And it's submit your videos of literally any lift. And let's just break down from the standpoint of a trainer training other trainers. What are the things that you see that you could critique yeah. for yourself? What are the things that every other trainer, every other set of eyeballs sees that you may be missing so that we can make you A, better at the technique itself and B, better at teaching it to other people, aka you're going to make your own personal progress, but you're also going to learn how to be a better trainer so that other clients that you may have that experience the same problem or the same errors, they have like four or five different perspectives on how to get through it. So it was a really, really neat experience to just draw on the community to start building each other up. Eventually that got on the radar because let's just be real. I just started tagging everybody. I was just like literally mimicking what Freescript did in general. I would just start tagging. That's what we're doing. We start, hey, hey guys, I'm doing some stuff over here. Like just trying to get on people's radar. And it's not, it wasn't with the express intent of like getting in, but it was like, I want to help this community grow. I clearly have a perspective or there's something here that I think they would benefit from. So let's just keep doing it long enough. Keep making up noise. Do it like you have to know a guy to know a guy style, like make it super cool to be there. Yeah. And it just sort of organically yeah. grew to the point where it got on radars. Um, and they eventually just, again, pulled us into the fold, same as there. And it's what can you do to help improve the community? What do you want to offer? What do you want to do? It's, it's a very sort of open line of communication, like free reign to pretty much propose and chase down any ideas that you may have that may help improve the quality of the products introduce new products anything at this stage it's, it's a very very honest and open working relationship with the guys it's really cool yeah because i think well that's i met you through saluji i guess because saluji is the one that actually uh added me to thunderdome when thunderdome was still pretty small that was when thunderdome wasn't very big so i think that was like we were getting like maybe 10 people a lab um and then that's when i met you and then yeah i was trying to remember how we actually got connected because i was like i don't think it was through like Killian's lab. I don't think it was through like, maybe it might've been through Macintosh's lab. Maybe. I'm not sure. I was. I think I'd seen you at that one before. Too, Cause it, it was the same thing. It was the same process. Like as I'm going to these labs, like I don't want to monopolize everything. I don't want to just act like I'm the only one that knows anything. So I sat on my hands for a great long time. Same in Thayer's like pre Thayer lab, Thayer lab. I just sat on my hands and let people talk. Um, because a like imposter syndrome, I don't know. Maybe there's someone in here that has different perspectives than me. That's cool. Maybe I'm an idiot. I don't know. As you get more comfortable in the room, you start talking more and more. And then you realize like, oh, I can really like give my perspective and give my experience to these people that will really help. Let's just keep running. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. And then that, that's like a, it's neat that it turned into what it is now. Right. Because I know like at, at some point in time, it was just like, hey, let's like, let's just look at your shoulder. But then for it to actually take form and for it to take shape and for it to actually be like a regular occurring lab and for it to be like recognized and like you guys are actually part of the crew now, it's a, it's a cool thing. It's um, it's inspiring. We'll say that. Well, the the original idea that I got inspired by was actually Westside and Elite FTS style like group training because they would just have like the squad roll up and like either they're gonna call everybody from around the gym for some crazy lift that they need squatters for, or old school Westside style they would literally just have like training partners running like round robin on the same rack just doing their lifts, constantly yelling, people yeah. and giving feedback, and I was like, that's super cool. I wanted to try to do that in real life in like the good life setting through T and D's, but it never really panned out. 
but then that's what yeah. sort of leapfrogged into after we got that first video i was like oh we're totally doing it this way because it's the same same concept like you're going to do a lift you're going to throw it up in the middle of the screen and we're all going to be able to give you feedback like that's the that's where that inspiration came from yeah it helps develop your coaching eye um, for yourself, right? Being able to critique your own lifts, obviously, because I know that's a very important thing. Like if you can't critique your own footage of yourself, it's really hard to critique footage of somebody else. So I think that's definitely helped improve my coaching eye for my own lifts because I can now like pick apart little things that I probably would have never seen before. Again, it's probably like the minutia of stuff. Like it's very small little details, but it's still important details to helping you get to your goals or what could be hindering you from your goals, right? Um, so I think that's definitely helped me a lot in just being able to like, evaluate and assess my current training or even just my clients too right just like you mentioned before seeing similarities in like the technique lab that you're seeing with clients too at least gives you a place to start and then if you don't know where to roll from there it gets you on the right path for asking the right questions yeah. well that's something that happened and something i hold very very close to my heart at all times is being a facilitator and helping people build confidence that they know what they know and that's where like having yeah the individual that's present, presenting the video, genuinely present the video, like tell us what we're seeing, give us the context, what felt good, what didn't, how would you coach yourself? And then we'll open it up to the floor. That's my approach with all labs that I'm in. Like anytime I've subbed, if I, like, I'm trying to get as much engagement, not for engagement's sake, like I'm not just gonna randomly call on someone that doesn't wanna talk, but I want people to have the confidence in, you took our courses, you took the material, we taught you well, you're a smart individual, you're a good trainer, don't be afraid to speak. Don't be afraid to have a personality. Don't be afraid to have a perspective that might be different than what I literally just said. We want to open it up yeah. as much as humanly possible. And that's what uh, we're doing a lot actually in the Edmonton Intensive you're speaking of is calling on people to say it with confidence. Like, you know some stuff. And even if it's not correct, correct, like if it's if you think that you're going to be wrong, we can, we're in a place where we can tailor amend not challenge it with like, an aggressive sense, aggressive sense, but if you say something that's a little bit off from what I would do, okay, well, why do you think that? How are you getting there? How, if that's okay, with given context that you just told me, that's a sick idea. I'm all about it. Or how do we shape it to, I think it'd be a better route to get you to your goal by doing this. It's more of an open yeah. dialogue. It's more collaborative, like I said, about even our training. That's, I think, yeah. the missing link in what a lot of people do in their continued education is they just try to absorb direct information from someone, which is important, but they don't try to assimilate it. They just try to use it over and over and over. They don't try to assimilate it and then use it within the confines of the greater amount of their skills. They don't try to make it their own. Yeah, and then that's one thing too. I think you mentioned earlier about the whole imposter syndrome thing, right? It's like, not knowing who you are, but then also just being confident in what you know, which is like, I think why your coaching approach works well. Um, but then also you're just like, you're pretty much just helping, helping reassure or you're helping kind of reaffirm what somebody's already thinking. Cause I know lots of times like I'll ask you something, but then I'll like already kind of be thinking along that path anyways. But usually what I'm going to you for is like that reassurance or I'm going to you for like, you know, making sure that I'm kind of on the right path or if I'm not on the right path, it's like, okay, well, like which direction should I be looking? And then it like allows me to deep dive into that more. Yeah. Like if you can rationalize your answer nine times out of 10, even if I have a different answer, it doesn't matter as much as you think. And you can still do the way you did. Like you don't have to take yeah. it to like what coach says, right? Like if you have a clean rationale and it's going to get them there, who cares? I literally had like Baxter numerous times. Baxter, like I'm pretty sure James Mack, Killian for sure, 
either directly contradict me immediately after I said something or within the span of like a week or two, like I remember saying something and then like Killian says the exact opposite. I'm like, we're both right. Given yeah. your context or if it's coming from me directly coaching you, given the yeah. ability to pair and shape what's about to happen, like both the answers are correct. And that's why like not having an ego and not being super attached or married to methodology, be married to principles, be married to certain things that are going to be true amongst everything, but don't be yeah. afraid to be wrong because you're probably not wrong if you're able to critically think about things and actually provide a rationale for your decision. Yeah, I think people need to realize too that like a different thought process doesn't mean that you're wrong. It's just an, it's like a different outlook or different perspective on something. It's just how you would address the issue yourself just based off of the current knowledge that you have or experience that you have. It's not that you're wrong, um, but it's just being able to rationalize your decision or being able to rationalize your choice, right? Exactly. It's in a vacuum. I would do this. Here's some more information. Cool. I think your answer is probably better given that new information. There you go. Boom. That's it. Yeah. Uh, so I think, I mean, this took a little bit of a different path than I was wanting to take initially, but I'm totally fine with it. Kind of bounces off nicely off the last podcast I did with Reno, actually. Um, so to finish this one off, actually, I think what I'll ask you is for somebody that wants to you know, do well in the PT space for somebody that really wants to do well as an in-person coach, um, or maybe they have their long-term goal of being an online coach, what would you recommend that they take for some courses? Um, or what would you recommend as far as like some certifications go? So for them to actually like get into PT and establish a good base level knowledge. And, and then from there, obviously you're going to be trying to find your, as I've talked about it before with other people too, trying to find the direction that you want to take with your with your PT and finding out obviously what, like what your brand vision is. But um, if you could like just name some courses that you would recommend doing, um, that'd be, that'd be awesome. And I'm sure some people could take away a lot from that. Yeah. I think that the obvious one that I'm going to do is I'm going to plug PSL because obvious bias, but I'm only going to put my eggs behind or my, uh, my weight behind things that I actually believe in. So PSL first and foremost, because it sets the foundation for, for, the tagline is a systems way of thinking, which is how it should be. Like here is, it's not an actual system that you follow. It's a systems way of thinking. So it's going to equip you with the ability to actually think through your decision-making given a strong background in anatomy, applied biomech, but then you're starting to get into the greater scheme of prescripts community, which is the real value where you're going to have access yeah. to literally all of the minds, whether you're just attending labs, whether you're in the collective now that's launched, regardless of the route that you go, the lightning rod of networking, the amount of ideas that you can like just glean, even if you're a lurker, just hanging out, the amount of different perspectives and education you'll glean just from participating in conversations. That's yeah. probably one of the best things you can do because it's going to expose you to every prong of this industry imaginable, multiple different perspectives and levels of experience across probably the same issues that you'll run into as a young trainee or trainer rather. So it, it's going to be an accelerant to how, how fast you get through the aches and pains of figuring out the, the nuts and bolts of training and, and like just really building confidence because you're constantly rubbing shoulders with people that are going to have the craziest, most efficient answers to any problem you could at, at your fingertips. You'll have the answer no matter what. So that's my bias yeah. one. Um, obviously, if you're going to be treating this either in a commercial gym or as your own business, True with respect, like the certifications are, you can get them on a weekend, blah, 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 the whole shitting on certifications thing, but at least get one that's nationally or internationally recognized because you're going to be nationally or internationally recognized. 
So most gyms, if you're working in person, if not all of them at this stage, literally require you to have a certification for liability purposes, if nothing else. But get something that's pretty high end, quote unquote, as pretentious as that sounds, because when you go online, if people do know anything about anything, they're going to be looking at, did this person get NSCA, ACSM, uh, in Canada, CSEP, some of the ones that are more tightly regulated, more uh, consistently being involved in research, online, uh, ongoing education, things of that nature. And I'm sure there's plenty more that I've, I, that are they're evolving since I've been in the space. But those would be the ones that I recommend because not only are they going to give you the legal ability to train people due to being able to with, uh, have a job in a gym, but also liability insurance, the whole thing. If you're going to get one anyways, the pricing isn't that dramatically different from going from Weekend Warrior Certification 1 to Weekend Warrior Best Possible version of it. So might as well do the best possible version because it's going to have the greatest degree of recognition globally. So yeah. PSL 1 through Prescripts and then just generally getting involved in the community at large. Uh, any certification, period, because you need one. And then you kind of look at where do you want to specialize? I know a lot of people are thinking like, I'm going to say something about nutrition. Don't do nutrition. Most of the time, if you're going to do nutrition, you're going to do it to improve yourself. And if you're trying yeah. to get into the space to write meal plans, you're doing it wrong because that's wildly outside of most of our scopes, a tremendous amount of work if you want to do it right. And if everything I said was just contradictory to how you feel about that topic, you're probably not doing it right. Sorry, not sorry. Like there's a reason why dietitians are the ones that can legally write meal plans. Uh, you're probably not putting enough effort into it or accounting for enough things if you're like willingly able to write meal plans for your clients. So the nutritional space, I would uh, keep a distance from just because if you're going to get into it, it's for your own personal benefit, which is cool. But for like your career, if you're trying to be as an upstanding uh, professional trainer as possible, there, there's not a whole lot that you're going to be able to do with it. But dabbling into courses that are more along the lines of how you train yourself. Because if it's a training certification that you directly benefited from in your own training, so if you're super into Olympic lifting and you take an Olympic lifting course and get better at Olympic lifting, and then you can train interested clients better at Olympic lifting, there you go. If it's same with powerlifting, same with hypertrophy training. Finding these courses that are specialized to how you personally train yourself, because as a new trainer, you're going to be the most highly qualified to produce results for people in the express way that you trained yourself because you have actual tangible experience doing that. That is the next tier. So PSL one, go team, get any certification that's going to legally allow you to train, but go for the good ones. Then yep. pursue things that are directly related to how you train yourself because everything needs to be married with an academic side as well as an experiential side, because that's the nature of training humans. And let's go to wrap it up. I think honestly, like, that's kind of why I wanted to wrap it up with that one. I know we had wanted to take a different direction initially, but um, since we were kind of on the topic of training already, um, I just wanted to get your opinion on it. Cause I get asked that quite a bit about like what people should be taking or what they want to take, you know, to get into the, the whole like PT space, but you know, you'd obviously don't have to go the full kin route. Like, like you went. Um, and I'd say that just honestly starting off with, like you said, some sort of like nationally recognized certification is a good way to go. And then obviously finding what you're, what you're passionate about and then kind of like basing a lot of your decisions off of that, but then also just like figuring out what you want to accomplish with your coaching too. Right. And kind of who you want to work with specifically, and then basing a lot of your 
certification choices or decisions off that too. It's interesting to me because as someone that is older school, takes pride in the qualifications that I have, because I did work hard for my qualifications. And that isn't to say that that's the only thing that makes a good trainer. I've never thought that, but it's interesting to me to see it go. It's like a, a everything is cyclic where in the online space, you're a big dork and nobody cares about your certifications because you don't even lift all the way to now. It's getting super trendy to be like, cite your sources in every single caption that exists as though that was a quality use of your time. Your resume is always going to be a resume. I've always been of the mindset that you should be proud to present the qualifications that you have, even in the online space. Oh, of course. And I think yeah. that again, time is a flat circle. What is old will always become new. It's going to get to the point where people are super prideful of their certifications because it's the thing that distinguishes them between insert online trainer number 73 versus me. Well, that person is some rando with some fluffy thing in their, 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 uh, their Instagram handle or whatever. And I have four certifications and a degree. I at least am showing that I have a, a acute passion and drive towards understanding this to a deeper level. That doesn't necessarily make me a better trainer than them. Experience is a normalizer in a lot of ways, but it is what it is. So I do think that a lot of things are going to come full circle at some point. So be prideful in the education that you pursue. Put it on a pedestal as a resume because this is a real job with real credentials that matter. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and regarding the other topics you want to talk about, this means that we'll do it again, bro. We'll just, I'll come back. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thanks for, again, thanks for your time, man. I know that you're obviously um, a busy dude. You know, you do probably 20 different things at one time. So I appreciate you making the time. Um, but for, I, I mean, I'm going to plug all your information at the beginning, have that little spiel about who you are and stuff. But um, I'll let you plug your social again and then talk about stuff you kind of have in the works too. Like, obviously, I'm sure you're doing like 20 different things at one time. It's not an over-exaggeration at all. Um, so you can just talk about, again, your your social media where people can follow you, stay up to date with what you're doing and then uh, any kind of current stuff you got coming out with Prescript or Barbend, et cetera. Yeah, the primary way of getting in contact or anything is either through my website and or email. So eric at ebegera.com, that's one way. Uh, socials, it's just going to be at Eric Begera, I believe is my handle. I'm pretty sure that's my handle. Um, I'll, I'll type it out at the beginning, so don't worry. That's how much I pay attention to things. But that's my, that's my handle on Instagram. Those are the two real avenues to getting in contact with me for questions, comments, concerns, business, anything like feel free to reach out. Um, projects on the go, man. Like we, I am your resident lab troll through Prescript. I am literally at every single one that I possibly can. I sometimes even kick in the door and the ones that I'm not supposed to be in like PSL two. We'll see. Um, so I'm at all the labs. Uh, that's one ongoing commitment that I've made because I just enjoy them. Uh, we currently are running the PS collective, the prescript collective, which is a subscription based uh, monthly content release and uh, Discord server and community. So we basically took a lot of the best moving parts of gen the general Prescript community and actually made them an efficient unit, uh, a real product that we actually now put a ton of time and effort behind, like polishing up and reaching out and finding the best minds in the industry to contribute for monthly ongoing education that not a lot of people are able to access through any other means than us. Uh, so what we have is a Discord server where you have open access to literally the entire coaching staff at all times, as well as the entirety of the community. Uh, we have the technique lab that we run weekly. We just had the first uh, literature review lab that we did yesterday, which was really cool, really strong turnout. Um, effectively, what that is, is a companion piece to a physical written copy of a literature review on a given topic per month that I write up myself. 
it effectively summarizes like an adjacent topic within or or like i said adjacent to strength and conditioning that is typically going to typically going to be very very complementary to the skill sets of a trainer so okay. case in point this last one we did was i summarized and in, introduced and summarized a lot of the key points behind uh, sports psychology either for athletics or in the in the case of a lot of what we're going to do in uh for certifying through gyms like how does this apply to the gym floor so we had a lab with respect to that as well uh, and then it's just going to be an ongoing thing where we keep introducing probably throughout the years as as things grow and evolve more and more value adds there so um maybe other things through prescript we'll see like i said open working relationship if we uh bring ideas that they want to pursue we basically get the green light to do whatever there's not a whole lot there that i can talk about so i'm going to keep that one under wraps but yeah. our end i'm also doing anywhere from like six to eight uh articles per month right now um very grateful for that opportunity as well it keeps me engaged keeps me thinking because i literally just get handed a sheet with a bunch of topics that they're just like we trust you have the knowledge go so that's a really fun uh, writing experience as well what else do i got that's it. I think that's the active projects. There we go. So uh, he's got some stuff going on. <laughs> but uh, as usual, man, it's always a pleasure. This is probably like the first talk that you and I have actually had together. So I think it was really, it was really nice. It was cool to talk about uh, just the education side of things and just talk about again, like coaching. Cause I think it's a nice one to kind of piggyback off the last one I just currently had. Um, and then just kind of figuring out for those of you that want to maybe go all into the online space or for those of you that are wanting to still kind of be in person again lots of good takeaways in this episode that you can apply to your current training um, and then also into your pt life try to have more, a bit more of a work-life balance too because that's what it's all about all right but uh thanks again man and i'm sure we'll talk soon cool thanks so much 